ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. Nick Janusa, thank you so much for coming back to ATV Talk. I know we had some plans to try to do an Instagram live and and with your schedule being so hectic, it, it didn't happen. Um, before we get into this, I just want to I just want to say with some of the things after having conversations with you, um, I have the utmost respect for the level of intensity that you have in life and in your racing. So um, that being said, how are you? I'm great. You know, I want to say thank you also for doing this on on Father's Day. This is a says a lot about your passion towards this, too. But yeah, man, it's uh, been a crazy season so far. Three races left. and it goes by fast. You know, you, it feels like the off seasons go by fast and then the in seasons go by even faster. But, um, I guess that's just life in itself, but I'm enjoying it, you know, trying to, and I think this second half of the year has been a little bit better for me mentally. Um, you know, I don't want to sound like a head case, but I've definitely been going through a lot outside the track and a lot's been different this year. So, um, this is really an adapting year and, uh, kind of like we touched on before, you know, on the verge of a breakout, which I do feel, and I don't want to completely talk about a, a breakout a lot because I'd rather just, you know, action speak louder than words. So I'd rather it just happened that way and give it my all, you know? Well, I got to r- watch you ride in person for the first time at Briarcliff. And I know we spoke before we started, before we started this, um, I was really highly impressed with the speeds that you guys are traveling and the fact that you're are closing the gap. I know that Joel is super fast. I know that Chad is still super fast, but the gap is closing and some of the speeds that you guys are traveling is just unbelievable. Um, I I was highly impressed. Yeah. I mean, I I think that track in specific is extremely fast. I mean, the, I run a different gearing for that race. Uh, it was fun though. I mean, I didn't really care for it on the track walk, to be honest with you, the track, but I ended up having a lot of fun and I'm not going to deny it. And it ended up being a really cool racetrack. Um, but yeah, going back to the gap, it's, it's definitely closing up. I think you're seeing signs here and there of everybody just knocking on the doors of Joel and Chad and they are extremely dominant. They've been for a long time, but we all know that that doesn't last forever. And eventually it'll change. And I think when that changes consistently, it'll be the best racing people have ever seen. Cause we're seeing good racing now, but it's still, you know, the same two come out and then the third place is the battle always, but it's, uh, it's getting there. You know, I think, I, think, I really think so. I want to touch on something. Uh, a lot of your fans already know this, uh, your family's had some issues. Um, I don't want to get too deep on it because it's not my place, but the the weight of that on you and and the fact that you have other outside deals that go on because of that um are taking your mental game away from you a little bit um do you see that changing soon yes 100% um no question about it this is year just you know the timing fell into everything of I don't want to say the bad time, everything was bad timing, but, you know, thinking about it now, I mean, uh, a lot's come on my plate in the last year and you start to realize how important when you get older, what your, what your time is worth. I mean, I'll, I'll go onto the house I'm doing first, um, the GC on my own house right now, which is a hell of a project in itself. 
that is extremely time consuming. If somebody's ever done it, they realize it's a full-time thing. It takes up all your time. It's very stressful and you got to be there the entire time or things don't go the way they're supposed to <laughs> do that. Now, when you race pro ATV motocross and you really want to be committed and race the top group, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I could probably ride get away with riding once a week and work out twice a week and be a top 10 guy for sure. But when you want to be in the top group, it requires all of your effort and the two mixed together are very difficult because you know, the, the racing takes time away from the house and the project drags on the contractors know when you're not there. And then the time at the house, um, just nothing but affect your racing because it takes your time away. Now, throwing my dad into the equation, you know, I've raced with my father my entire life. He pretty much never missed any races growing up, drove to all the events with me. And now it's, it's me, you know, I'm lucky to have my best friend, Mike drive with me, but it's huge. And I think, and I, I don't, I don't wish, and I want to say that angry. I don't wish anyone to ever go through it, but you'll never know what it's like until it happens to you. And then you think you're doing a lot and then you take the main guy out and then you really realize how much uh, that person's doing. And then, you know, when, when your time's away from the racing and then you go to the racing and when it's time to race and then you're thrown off there. And as much as a head case as it might sound, you know, those two big things, it's, um, it's, it's difficult to adapt to, you know, in such a short time, but, you know, to your question about it changing, I, I do think, you know, dad is getting better. He, he does plan on coming to pretty much all the races next year. He's real antsy to get back at it. He, uh, he can't see out of his left eye. So he's, uh, he's not driving, which is fine. Whatever. He doesn't, doesn't bother him too much. I know he wants to drive again. His speech is back. He's just a little bit slower mentally, but he's there. Um, switching back to the house. I mean, I'm, I'm close. I mean, I'll probably be moved in in about a month and that is like going to be like a light switch of like day life changing for me because I'll get like the last two years of my life back. And it's like, now I'm not driving there every day. Now it's like, it's over. So now where does next time all go again? So when I, you know, like tomorrow morning, Believe it or not, like my entire house is done, but I haven't done a septic yet. Um, just the way it's the way things fell. Like everything's waiting on this. So I have a septic going in tomorrow morning, and that'll be this week's project. But they're painting the inside of the house this week. Like it's it's completely done. But a lot of little things have to come together right now. Um, and it'll be, you know, this is on my plate. And even after I move in in about a month, it's still on my plate because you're not really fully settled in. And I gotta do my best the last three races take it for what it is, um, for the season, give it my all. And it's funny because right after the last race is probably when I'll actually be able to take a breath and then I'll have the entire off season in a completely new spot. I've never lived outside of home, but I'm looking forward to it because my place is specifically built and set up for me and what I do, which I think is a huge advantage. You know, it's as much hell as I've been through, which I don't even say really the depth of the problems that I've had throughout the two years. Um, you know, I, I feel like this is one of those situations where it's, you take one step back to go too forward and it's, it's tough to take a step back and you, you don't want to accept less and you don't want to see your name on a sheet, a position or two back and it starts to affect you. But you know, this is life. And if this is what it's going to take to go those two steps forward, I'm willing to do it. I think that I know it's a lot to take in, but <laughs> no, I, you know, I appreciate you sharing um, growth, maturity. These yep. are things that you're talking about yep. that every one of us at some point in our life have to deal with, you know, some do it younger, some do it older, some do it just gradually. You're ha you got it thrown at you in one big moment. Yeah, but I probably needed it to be honest with you because sometimes it takes something pretty aggressive because everybody's different. Some people adapt to it and me, you know, thick skin in a lot of ways and kind of a kid in a lot of ways. It's kind of probably the best way for me to have it aggressively thrown at me because it that word growth, you know, and, and maturity. So that that's huge in itself. Well, when you look at some of your competitors, growth and maturity is what's changing their 
ability to go fast. Okay. And it's also changing some of your competitors in the fact that they're moving on to the second phase of their life or third phase of their life, you know, talking about Chad, you know, yeah, he's going to be there this year. He's going to be there next year. But after that, nobody knows. I, I don't, I personally, I don't think he'll race again, but um, I think he's had a hell of a career in itself, but you know, for the, it's tough, man. Like the, the racing really takes so much of your time and <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm getting over being sick. Um, Joel, I'm good friends with Joel and uh, he always lived in Pennsylvania and he moved to North Carolina last year. And I know he had respectfully a little bit off of the second half of the season, a couple of things came up and he moved in the middle of the race season from Pennsylvania to North Carolina, which is not an easy task. He's got a wife, two kids, not an easy task, but it's hard. And it's the same thing for Joel where I saw him do it in a little bit different scenario, but he took one step back, you know, this is going to, I'm going to profit money on my Pennsylvania house. And this is going to set me and my family up. You know, our racing, we all know is very short time. And if you got to do what you got to do to set yourself up and make sure you're in a good position when you're outside racing, I, I respect anybody that does it after, you know, going through it, you know, taking that step back and Joel, you know, I think had that championship in the bag until he had a couple opportunities with his house stuff and moving and I got to take this and the racing is what it is. Now he's settled into his North Carolina house and he's had the most dominant season he's had ever, uh, in my opinion. And it's, it's impressive to see cause I'm impressed by watching, uh, Joel cause he's, he's pretty headstrong with that stuff. And he did what he had to do last year to get through it. And, you know, race, but set his him and his family up. And, you know, obviously I'm not, I don't have a wife or kids, but uh, I know it'll set me up in a good position down the road that, you know, there, there has to be a time in your life that you commit to something big like that, whether it's moving out and this is not a one month, two month thing. It, it requires a lot of time, a lot of stress, and uh, you got to juggle both, you know, it's just interesting because I don't even know if, if you knew that, but that's what he did last year. Kind of a little bit similar, but I knew bits and pieces of it, but I, I try not to pry sometimes. And yep. um, I reach out to you guys as often as I can and send texts and, and just see how you guys are all doing. Uh, I know I, I've gained relationships, I think with all of you, even though some of them were over zoom until we got to meet face to face. Um, but I'm sending out, on race weekend, after a race weekend, probably 30 to 60 texts wow. just to check up on people, whether it be woods works and, and, uh, motocross all at the same time. Uh, there's some motorcycle guys that I follow that also that I reach out to. So there's a large number of people that, um, I consider it a family. I really do. I mean, we're, we're a small niche group in the world that does something that, and no, I'm never, never was your caliber, <laughs> not trying to no, say, whatever. but I did race and I did spend some time out on the track and, and I understand portions of it. And I just, I would have loved to have gotten a text from somebody like myself saying, Hey, good job. You know, keep up the hard oh, work. Yeah. It, it, it just, it's just a great boost, you know? Yeah, no, it is. And I wanted to do that Instagram live thing, but I just had a slam week and I got back so late that one night and, uh, yeah, a couple of things always end up coming up, but yeah, no, it's, it's good to talk with you because it was nice to meet you because as genuine as you are in here, you are in person and I could see your passion for the sport, not just in ATV motocross, but you know, you truly love it. You I know, do. It's I think awesome. it's the greatest thing ever, man. Yeah. We got to get you out to the, uh, that Turkey Derby. I have that 90 event, you know, that, you, you know, the pit bike event I hold. Okay. I, I know of it, but I don't know much about it. Yeah. It's once a year, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, we had 350 people at the house last year. It doesn't sound like a lot, but do it at your house and it's a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet it is. And it was awesome. There's, it's all TRX nineties and adults that race them. Um, pretty much all in their twenties, thirties, forties, and fifty. It's not really a kid event. You know, I think it's more for like the older group uh, and the fathers, like kind of something back to them. That's fun. You know, and the kids go, but I, and I love the kids, but I don't really have any kids classes. And I, I like it as an older event because it's, it's something back to, you know, the fathers are bringing their kids to races for a year. So let's watch the kid. The kids are going to race or watch the father. So it's, it's fun. 
you know, it's a lot, it's a, it's a cool event. Well, that brings me back to a Father's Day race they had years ago. Uh, not everybody knows that in, in Southern California here, a place called Barona Oaks, mm. CMMC um, motorcycle race, uh, uh, organization had a kid's racetrack. Well, one Father's Day, they had uh, a Father's Day race, and there's so many dads racing that they had to have two classes. Wow. Well, my dad built the machines for uh, Ricky Johnson and Steve Walker and sure. Scott Myerscoff and, and some other guys. Excuse me, not Scott, but but some of the other guys, Myers and, and some other really fast guys in the in the Southern California region. And they got on Steve's bike. My dad did and won the first Father's Day race. Wow. And Steve's dad got on the same bike and won the second one. And and funniest thing was Brock Glover's out there on a Yamaha 80 with a broken leg. Oh, man. Playing with playing with my dad and and Mr. Walker you know, waving at him. Like, yeah. It was the greatest thing. It was so fun. Wow. I was as a kid, you don't really, you know, how long were you? Oh, this is, it's in the seventies, dude. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You long before oh, yeah. you. Yeah. It's way before me. I was born in 95. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you know, that's crazy that. Yeah. I was race mechanicing at the GNC or the ATV motocross at that era. Wow. So not everybody knows that I've had a career back there as well. No, I know you have history, but I didn't know it was that far. Yeah. I go, I go back into the eighties. I go, well, actually it, it goes back to the seventies because the three wheelers came out in 69. Yep. You know, and my dad was instantly involved in it. And, but in the seventies, he was, he was also building XR 75s. Yeah. If you've ever ridden an XR 75, I don't know if you ever gotten to. No, my dad talks about them though. It's the greatest motorcycle ever built. <laughs> I um, they're so fun. And, and maybe we're just overplaying it because we got to do it and it was cool, but yeah, you'll no. have like your, like your, like your race that you have with the nineties, that TRX 90. They're in the show. Yeah, they're awesome. Did you see how many there were over the weekend? Just people riding around on them. Uh, yeah, I instantly knew I got to buy one. <laughs> I got to oh, buy. You one. have to buy one. They're they're pretty much bulletproof. Those things. They're freaking awesome. I'm a big fan of them. Yeah, I kind of thought I'd see LT80s. Didn't see many. Yeah. You know, they're just not something that people buy. It must be a West Coast. Yeah, no, they're maybe they buy them out there. The TRX90s are so popular over this way, and only. Only getting bigger, I think. Yeah, I'm probably going to end up buying one. Well, there's a couple of companies like like Fourworks makes a lot of parts for them, like the hoods and seat covers, and people like to trick them out, like a little version of their race squad. And Wrath has the bumpers and Nerf bars, and they make rims and this and that. And CST, one of my biggest sponsors, has like a really cool tire that fits the stock rim. That's the same tread as what we race on in our 450s. It's it's such a it's like a little cool mini quad. It's awesome. That's a that was a good marketing ploy right there. Oh yeah, I mean to make a tire that that matches, make yeah. a tire that's the same tread but it fits the stock rim of a ninety. It's genius. I want to ask a question about CST. Um, I'm I'm sponsored by GBC. Okay. You know, but when did you always run that brand of tire, or did you run Maxis first? Well, I ran Maxis for years, and I think since whew, honestly forever. Um, you know, I had Max's tires forever. I think I got sponsored by them in 2012, 13 in there. And I ran them for years. And then after 2017, um, I was talking with the inside of Maxis because CST owns Maxis. They're the same company. Right. Like when I get a tire shipment, it actually says Maxis on the box. They all come from the same place. They own the same company. And a couple of the internal people, you know, pushed me to, in it, not a hard way. It wasn't really hard to twist my arm to run that tire and team up and start, you know, branding for them. And in 2018, I switched. So it's be my 18, 19, 2021. This will be my fifth consecutive year in a row with CST. And they're, they're awesome to work with. They love the sport. And that was the whole goal was to get, you know, when CSD came out, everyone's like, oh, you know, what the hell is this? And, you know, the Maxis rig is huge and this 
it kind of seemed like an off brand, but no one really realized that CST was the bigger of the two. And, um, you know, they had said a long time ago, we want CST to be the new face and grow bigger. And I think a lot of people didn't see it. And I think a lot of people see it now when you have Joel running it, I'm running it, Jeffrey Restrelli's running it. The CST rig shows up to the races now. Um, and that's the, that's the face here. And it's crazy. And they had a vision and they got with a couple of the top pros and, um, I think it succeeded well for them because they would tell you more than half the people, you know, the half are on Maxis, half are on CST, but it used to be like 99% on Maxis. So it's cool to see the, you know, you get with the right pro riders that, you know, promote it and they make an appearance and show up to the track, show a presence. Um, people will switch and it's absolutely a capable tire too. I mean, we're having pretty darn good races on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was more going to get into uh, the development side from what I've seen, you know, yeah. uh, with CST, with GBC, the there these two companies are actively trying to develop better and better product. Yeah. Um, I deal with Corey Ellis and, and I'm not involved in the development of the tire, but I know that he is. And some of the things that they go through with developing these new tires, um, it, it's amazing. I know when Bo Barron switched on the West Coast, it works. Um, it was a little bumpy transition, but as he has developed the tire and they've changed with him, um, it seems to be a good product. I mean, I, I don't have anything to say about it. Yeah. I mean, since they came out, that tire has been the same for the last five years. Um, they had a couple of, you know, the first year or two, we did a couple of test days and I had to write one or two Wow, I got me really thinking about this now. One or two details <laughs> of what I thought or questionnaire after riding. And I did not like, I didn't not like them at all. I mean, that was, you know, the, the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I liked it. And, you know, Joel's doing pretty darn well on them too. And they have two different compounds for the rear. Um, but the tire hasn't changed much. You know, the tire actually reminds me of the old Maxis tread, which also worked well. And I know Maxis has a new tread, but it's 50 50 it depends it's all really preference i mean we're making it work still for sure and it's we're not i do not feel whatsoever we're at a disadvantage with the cst compared to the new maxis tread that's been out for a couple of years in my opinion that's awesome yeah. um that reminds me of the old stories i never got to go uh, but the old honda days when otsu would bring a truck out with carcasses that you had to groove and yep. they would groove the pattern in and go test. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes we do that when we're like sipe the rear tires a little bit. And no, I'm talking about totally grooving the, I mean, having a, a slick. Yeah. No, so I, I don't change them to that extent. I yeah, will. These guys, these guys, well, they were trying to develop the tire just to, to build a tire that they could sell. Yep. And these riders out there doing this. And I thought that was amazing. Wow. That, that's a lot of effort. It's a lot of effort. You know, like the littlest change requires a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's awesome that, that you got to go in on the ground floor and develop some of that. Um, have, are there any other sponsors that you've worked with in the development process? Yeah. The Hermosi throttle, you know, the aftermarket throttle. Okay. Thumb throttle. Uh, I did quite a bit with that too. Uh, when he started up and developed it and he has a, a regular model and then like a factory edition one and or the special edition one i think it's called now and the special edition one is the one that i helped develop and we worked out just a couple of little things um a couple of uh, size replacements of the tools to make more sense easier to work on um, make it more like two tools to work on the whole thing instead of like five of what it was more user-friendly um and haven't touched it since, and I've ran it ever since, and I wouldn't want to change it. I'm a huge fan of it. Before you switched to that throttle, did you use a Honda throttle or did you use a Yamaha throttle? I, I don't care for the Yamaha throttles. I actually think they're horrible. And I, <laughs> I, I ran, I, I honest, honestly, I ran a Honda TRX 90 throttle, which some people use. And a lot of people use the Suzuki LTR 450s, which I hear great things on. I've never really really tried one i, I might have had a quad one a long time ago um 
if I didn't run the Hermosi, I'd probably run the LTR because I've felt them before on other people's quads and it feels just right. But the Yamaha one, it's just funky. You know, it's, it's like immediate thumb pump, not from how difficult it is, but from the throw of it, it's too far back and it's just, it's, it's not it to me. So when you were, when you were developing that thumb throttle, were you adjusting, I know people can't see my hands moving, but you were adjusting the position of the thumb lever. So that, well, that that's the beauty of that throttle. It's actually fully adjustable to how you want it. You can adjust the height. You can adjust where you want it to end, where you want it to start. And anybody can do it. It's like a three different point adjustable throttle. And then once you have it set, then you lock tight and lock it. And then it's, it stays there, you know? Um, but that throttle is fully custom to what you want. So once I get mine, I kind of know right where I like it and I set it up and then I'm comfortable, you know? So you can, you can get that to sit like the Yamaha one. You can get it to sit like any of them. That's why it's cool. And it's reliable. I really had no issues with it at all. I, I had not, (laughs) um, we're twist throttle people. So we, most of everything we do is twist throttle. Um, but, the, but we need a better option. So that awesome that you gave me that information because I had not spent any time with that throttle to, to know. So yeah, uh, the gentleman, uh, Robert has put an awful lot of time, money and effort into the development and he's very smart. Um, he's very smart, the guy, and he was easy to work with. And we've talked a lot over the years and it's a sharp looking product. It's pretty cool. I'm not so involved anymore, but I had a a great time and he still sponsors me now. Um, but I had a great time developing it with him over the course of like two years in 2018 and 19. That's so awesome. Yeah. Have you ever tried a twist throttle? No, on a quad. Yeah. I mean, I rode somebody else's. I didn't care for it. I mean, my dirt bike, I ride with twist throttle and I don't put a thumb on that. And I don't want to be that guy, but (laughs) I, uh, I just separate the two. I like the quad with the thumb. And when I get on dirt bike, I want the twist. And I leave it that way. Uh, do you use the dirt bike for fun or cross training? Both. I love it. It's just something. Um, you know, I have a lot of dirt bike guys that ride on my track, mostly dirt bikes, other than more, way more dirt bikes and quads that ride on my track. And then there's some days where I'm just totally quadded out and just want to ride with the guys on a dirt bike. And it's almost like I have more fun on the dirt bike because it's something different. You know, I, I love the quad stuff, but it becomes jaded after a while just from doing the same stuff. And it, it's just something good, you know, realistically, I'm, I, I barely touch it. Like I, I got that new one recently, that gas gas 450. I wrote it once the other day. I, I might ride it one more time in between now and the end of the season in between a race, maybe. And then after the season, I'll ride it pretty hard for two months straight, three months. And then pretty much December, and I don't really touch it. I have like a, a weird window with the bikes, but you you can't have a track and not have one. You know, when you have a track, you got to be able to ride. You got to be able to have all the vehicles. You know, you got to use it. it. It's 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 awesome, and I I have a lot of fun on the bikes. But it's you ever raced a dirt bike? Uh, I did once. I raced like an amateur class a long time ago, uh, maybe like five years ago, and it was a lot of fun at Raceway Park here in New Jersey. And I got a second and a third, pulled the last whole shot of the day, but it was fun. But I just, I'm not really caring to race them. I mean, I've raced pit bikes 110s a lot of times, probably 20 or so actual like little races and done actually really well on them, won a lot of them. And um, I don't really ride the 110s too much anymore. Uh, but the, the big 450 dirt bikes are just fun to ride for fun and a little bit of cross train changes it up. Yeah, it's, it's different. I know that I'm a little heavier, but I prefer a 250 because yeah. when I grab a handful on one of those 450s, yeah, I think man, that's a that's I, I, that's a lot of HP. Well, it's funny because I I used to have a 250, and I'm like, man, like, I will never ever ever get a 450 ever. Just they're they're never happening ever, and they're too much or too much. And then I just I rode a couple at my track, but the sheer like explosion of how fast they are. And adrenaline, just, I liked that challenge to control it because it kind of reminded me of how erratic some of our, you know, our race squads are like, it's so extreme and you have to tame it. And that's how I feel like when on the dirt bikes and I manage them pretty well, 
I mean, don't get me wrong. It, that bike can be ridden way harder to its potential. Um, but I, I like the 450s and my track's all same too. So I think it works better. That's, that's well, yeah, the 250 gets bogged down in the, in, yeah. the, in the deep sand and the 450 just blazes right through it. Yep. Yep. You know? Uh, you know, I know this is off topic, but what drove you to the, the gas gas versus Yamaha, Honda, Kawasaki, or Suzuki? Um, well, the, I had the Yamaha YZ450 and that's what I had for about a year. And I just sold it to somebody locally and I loved it. I loved the power on it. Uh, I mean, the motor was good. It was really explosive though. Like that one was, that bike wore me out more than my gas gas. Now it had, the suspension was good. I just, I tried something different in the local dealership here, uh, that I'm really good friends with. They do not sell Yamaha. They have Suzuki, Honda, gas, gas, and they just got the gas gas as a brand at their dealership. And I'm like, why not? I mean, respectfully, I'm not sponsored by Yamaha on the quads and I can ride whatever I want, not step, step on any toes. And I'm the kind of guy just to change it up and not really, you know, if I want to try it, I'm going to get one and try it. That's awesome. <laughs> and I, and I love it, you know, cause it's basically a KTM, which has nothing but good reviews and the Husky KTM gas gas are all the same. Thing, basically the engines are the same for them. What I know and the frames are a little different, but man, I'm not just hyping it up. I mean, that thing was awesome. That was such a cool bike to ride. Well, I, yeah, you, you're, you're telling me something that I've heard multiple times. Yeah. I, I, I guess at some point I'm probably going to have to become a KTM fan, even though I, I'm struggling with it, but yeah. I, 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 when you cut me, I bleed red, you know, and then the other side's blue. So it, it's, it's a little tough to, to jump to orange. You, know, you got to get that gas gas, the red, it's the red KTM. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Hey, I want to ask you some questions about your bike setup. Okay. And coming from off-road background and coming from a background where we built motocross bikes a, a little differently than you guys do now, um, how much focus do you put into weight? Um, to be honest, the weight, not a crazy amount. I mean, I you you build the quad initially to what you need, you know, you get the, the Walsh parts and the Fox and this and that. But other than that, the only really real weight you can cut is, um, I mean, through a lot of ways, but like if you start shaving the plastic, shaving the seat and the pan and the seat foam, um, the nuts and bolts are huge, I guess. But to be honest, I mean, I don't do anything with the nuts and bolts. I use the OEM ones. Um, and I know a lot of the guys do the same thing. You can get crazy with the titanium stuff, but I'm so small as is where it's, you know, if I really got 10 more pounds off my bike, I don't really see the gain right now for, for me, for how small I am. You know, it's uh, maybe a little bit, but I just don't see it right yet. I, I don't really do much on the weight side and we're, we care way more about the setup and suspension tire pressure ride height for each track matters way more because you know we do a couple mud races where you're taking on 30 pounds and the whole bike changes anyway and you know in the mud right right um, i had just heard some rumors from some of the guys that they were doing all these things to get lighten them up and and watching the speeds that you travel and the and the height that you take um that oem hardware is so good it, it's hard to get away from it yeah. I mean, again, I'll, I'll go back to what, it, if I've learned anything in racing, if, if I'll say, I said it two or three times already, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And a lot of times people will, they try to change something and then it creates more problems when what they had worked fine. And yeah, I mean, the OEM stuff, there's respectfully no problems with, and the titanium stuff might be lighter, but I'm not willing to be the guinea pig for it. And if it's, really that different down the road and really a lot of people are talking about it and it's really that much of a difference then i'll make the switch but for right now i don't uh don't really see it happening i'm yeah. not not really interested in it i think there's like the you could save weight but everybody knows on race day that mental game will out beat anything you know you're, you're oh, mental totally. on this and that and the, the setup and it is important but your mental on race day is everything. 
I got a, a great chance to look at some of the machines and, and there's small variances to a lot of this stuff. But even when you look at the different engine builders, how they do things, everybody is similar. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to downplay my setup, my quad. I mean, it's definitely, definitely, definitely extreme. Um, you know, there's stuff done to my suspension that you respectfully can't get too easily. Uh, and the same with the engine, you know, there's a lot of little stuff to, and a lot of tricks on the build itself, but as nuts and bolts are pretty much what they are, but there's a lot of little things on our race bike as to why they're so good. But yeah, yeah I, today, you still got to ride it. You know, people could say what they want. You still got to ride the quad. Yeah. You, you could have, the, even if somebody, you know, honestly, I used to, I don't, if someone's cheating and they have a ridiculously fast motor, they still got to ride the quad at the end of the day. And, you know, and still, the rider is more the, the skill than the faster engine. I mean, if we were doing like a Daytona 500 track and it was surely just a giant circle that you're wide open, then yeah, that's not as much, um, respectfully, not as much skill involved. Uh, where you could just be pressing the gas, pulling away versus what we do. So extreme, you got to ride that quad. So, only let, me, so let me throw this out there. So you give you 10 more horsepower. Is that a hindrance or a help? I think it just depends on the track. <clears throat> That's a great question too. Um, 10 more horsepower. I think I'd, I don't even know if we could get 10 more horsepower ahead of what I race, but I, I would try it. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to try it. Um, well, you made a comment. I don't know. Time. I could see it going both ways. I, I, I would, <sighs> I think I can see it outweigh it than hurting. I don't think I would do worse on it. I only think I would do a little bit better with 10 horse. And that's my 10 second thinking about an answer, initial thought. Well, what brings me up to, to say that is, and the reason I bring up the hypothetical is you talked about when you do ride your ATV, it does freaking eat. And what I oh, mean yeah. by that is when you grab a handful of throttle, it's freaking going. And yep. one of the things being that we've been doing this for a super long time is everybody goes, Oh, I got to have more horsepower. Got to have more horsepower. Got to have more horsepower. You give them more horsepower and they go from a, yeah. a top three guy to a seventh place. And you ask them what happened. I got tired. And yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys that I know personally and not bashing anyone's names or whatever, but um, they're racing the amateur classes and they care so much about their, their race engine and they need the fastest this and that. You know, when we'll go riding on a track, and they'll come to my track, and I'll bust out my stock quad and just do circles around them. And then they start to realize, like, well, you know, that's just because you're you're you, you're who you are. And so it's like their answer, well, you know, you're who you are. You can do that on a stock quad. And like, well, I'm showing you that your quad is faster, but this is all rider. You know, this is own your skills, not. Yeah, I mean, the, the, some people just get so hung up on the engine. You can go incredibly far in this sport with like a half race build, very far. You don't need to get totally hung up on the uh, on like a full blown race engine because if you stuck, if you 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 feel like you're getting out motor in your amateur class, if you stuck any of us pros on your bike, we could still probably beat that top guy on the slower quad. You know, like you can be ridden to that. Just the, the potential that you have as a good rider you take to any quad and you're just great. You know, let me ask you this based on the development, you came through the ranks. Do you think that this sport would develop better if they kept the younger riders on closer to OEM machines, basically Yamaha's because there are nothing else and, and had them develop through that learning how to ride the machine with a little less power and a little less mods as they come through the C and B class? Your question is, do, would it develop the sport better? Or what, yes. do, what do you mean? I mean, I develop guess. The riders into better riders. I know that we, that I know some of the manufacturers. It, it, exist it would. I, okay. So I get that. It would, but they wouldn't do it because nobody wants to hear that. Everyone, you know, people want to dump money into them and then faster and more expensive is always better. So that it wouldn't happen. I think it would work though. I really do. Cause I think it would teach everyone to actually learn how to ride a quad and not just rely on the, 
you know, $30,000 hybrid that's extremely fast and well-built to get them fast when their skill needs to be proven on the slower stuff, uh, on the more stock stuff. It's where, you know, like the TRX 90 riding, it's got me so far because it's such a small quad and they're so slow, but it teaches you perfection and you can't ride that like you ride a 450. They're totally different and it teaches you momentum and teaches you a lot. And a lot of people always accuse me of cheating on them, but I laugh back because 99% of the people don't know how to ride them. And they're, they're so slow. And it, to your point, if we stayed back and we, and it's why I have a stock 450 that I still practice on, even though stock pro class is away, because I do see the gain of riding a slower quad for practice and riding the fast ones are good, but I feel like you have to have both. Like you had the one teaches you momentum and to be perfect. And the other one, you got to learn how to tame at that speed. And I think it's a great combo. Do you think that everybody has a vision of what creates greatness in, in, at your level? Do you think that it's momentum through the turns or straightaway speed? Oh, turns all the time. All the time turns. It's momentum coming in as fast as you can and exiting, but every turn's different. You know, it's just smooth, mistake free, um, consistent. Consistency is just huge, you know, but turns. Yeah, the straightaway stuff, don't get me wrong. There's, there's times we made, made up and not like turns. That's all your time. Well, we were just talking horsepower. Now we, we've talked turn momentum. You're, when you're looking at, really f- guys that are going oh my god i have more power if you watch their corner speed they're, they're generally walking it through the turns yep and they yep. want that throttle control so they just snap the throttle when they come out of the turn and it accelerates where a lot of the guys that are as fast have less motor they're driving through the turn faster and they have a faster exiting speed that's why they're beating the guy with more horsepower same same reason that you can drive a stock quad so much better than than most of the kids that come to the track. Driving them in, driving them in, driving them in, and staying on the gas more. It teaches you a lot. I think the bad suspension actually teaches you a lot too, because you ride on something that has not great suspension, and you learn how to tame it through crazy stuff. And then when you get on the good suspension, it's just like nothing. It's awesome. So the stock quad does not have great suspension, and you get on that. Walsh, Fox, YFZ, and you could just, you feel like the sky's the limit. But I feel like you, you have to have both. You have to go back and forth and one helps the other. So, so let me, we've had this conversation before and I want to go back to it in, in our, in our first time on the show. So if we go back to a pro stock class, <clears throat> do you think we're going to develop better pros coming from pro sport and, and pro-am? To, to to develop the pro class and get it larger? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it's so it's so difficult to stay. I mean, the, the pro stock class was there, but at the end of the re- day, they took that class away mainly because of the numbers. You know, if it was, it ran for two or three years, but, you know, like our average entry was like eight or nine people. Not enough people were signing up for it. You know, people... Like kind of what I was telling you, I think you're right. It would help, but people aren't going to listen to it. They don't want to ride a quad that's off the showroom floor with maybe $3,000 parts into it. They want to ride a quad with $20,000 worth of parts into it because everybody always thinks we're expensive. You know, everything's just, it's going to be better. It's going to be better. And that's the way our sport is. And I think it would work, but they ain't going to listen. Everybody wants to just go to the max all the time. Well, you have guys like Max Lindquist. Do you think it's just because Max is a great rider that that he starts to run with you guys in that in that in that group, or do you think it's because he developed on a Yamaha chassis through his amateur career and then raced that pro stock machine? No, I think that kid is as good as he is because him and Chad Weenan are like father and son. (laughs) (laughs) He rides with him all the time and they have a very good relationship and and again i'm not taking anything away from them but the apple doesn't fall far from the tree if that's who you're hanging out with all the time and riding with 
it's not not going to help at one point. You know, I mean, he's as good as he is because of his mentor. That says a, a lot. Of and I'm not bashing. You know, I'm, I'm I'm saying that. That's positive. a positive. Yeah, that's a huge positive. Yeah. He's a nice kid, nice family. They um, and he, he works hard and he's young. And um, yeah, I mean, he did well over the weekend at Briarcliff, which is you know surprising to. And respectfully surprising, not that I, I never saw it coming, but he didn't really qualify too great there. And then he pulled out a second in the first moto straight up, which was, um, it was impressive. Did you but think prior cliff was hard to pass on? Yes. Because it's so fast. It makes it difficult. It's, the slower tracks cannot, I mean, it depends, it depends on the track. Um, was it one line or was it just fast? Half of it was one line. <laughs> Half of it was just so fast. There was passing, but you had to wait for someone to make a mistake. I mean, I've been to tracks that are way worse, and I've been to tracks that are way better for passing. Um, it, it was difficult to pass. I would like it a little bit better. There were some split lanes, but they weren't very even, and there was just dominant. Um, some, And you couldn't really come out of that main line, or you just got passed. Um, but, yeah, there there. It was very difficult to pass. There was not a lot of action when it came to passing on that track, I will say. It was fun, though. Like It was a fun track, though. The option lanes need to be more even. There was a lot of split lanes, and the split lanes is what are what's good for passing, but they just – the split, everyone was taking the same one because it was so much faster than the other lane. Well, let me take you back in time a little bit. And back in the old motocross days – when you showed up to practice, they watered the track, you went out and rode the track, and they never groomed. In the old true motocross, it was never groomed. Do you think that you guys could ride on non-groomed tracks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It actually probably help us because when it's smooth, everybody's fast. The smooth tracks are harder for the good guys because <clears throat> because when they're smooth everybody's fast so it, it now closes the gap <laughs> you see how rough our last track was illinois where it was i mean i i thought it was rough some people were really complaining about it but that separates the men from the boys the rough the smooth everybody's fast because it you know everybody can hold on the gas and the bumps are not an issue and just wide open so it becomes more difficult i like when the tracks are difficult and rough because that's when the two groups separate and that's where it's easier for me on a more difficult track to separate when the tracks are very simple basic smooth nothing that separates it becomes hard Does that makes sense how much pull yeah it makes total sense i i think it's great i would i would rather have a technical course every day um, versus a speed course, because I want the riders to prove themselves on the technical. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just, yeah, skill level, you know, let's, 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 let's bring the skill level out. So, so there's no, oh, you know, it was a freaking eight straightaways and four turns and you know, it's, it's, that's it. And the yeah. straightaways are smooth glass. That doesn't prove anything. Yeah. It, it's kind of like drag racing. You know, there's a ton of people that love drag racing because it's max horsepower. It's, it's straight ahead drive. Okay. It, one guy got out of the hole better than the other guy. And it proved that this is, that this is fast for a second, but okay. Now let's go hit that big double. Yeah. That freaking bike ain't doing it, you know? Yep. So, um, I was going to, I, I had a thought I was going to go a different direction with you and um, I lost it, but it, that's what happens when you get old. <laughs> You're not old. Um, I got it. Do you guys, as a pro group, when you when all you riders get together, do you have pull with the track owners? That's a, that's a funny one too. It, 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 <clears throat> well, it depends on your relationship with the track owner. I don't really get too into it. I mean, I think the, the only one that pops out of my head is like the Unadilla track owner was really nice. And after the first and second qualifier, he'd come up to each pro tent. What do you think? What needs to be changed? And 
you know, the track already is what it is that day. Any big changes aren't going to happen on that day. But he does it out of respect to see what we think. Um, I know Weenan's really close with, like, the track owner at Sunset Ridge. Um, you know, I think – I mean, me personally, I don't really have any relationship with the national track owners, uh, any any real one. You know, I'm, I'm friends with the guys at Sunset Ridge. They're nice. And other than that, we have a little bit of pull, not, not too much. I mean, the track's already the way it is before we show up, you know? Um, that's about it. I mean, it, it just, it depends. If, if there's going to be pull, it probably would be the Briarcliff one because the guy is so quad friendly and he's willing to do what it takes to make his facility good. And I think with, um, the right people in his ear, just a couple of tweaks and that could be, I already think it's actually a really fun track, but it could be really phenomenal with the even lanes there. And something like that would be pull, in my opinion. If, if, we, if he worked with a couple of the pro riders uh, and any good rider could figure out um, you know, how to split the even lanes the right way or what needs to happen. Uh, other than that, not, not too much, just a little bit. I mean, respectfully, it's their track. They're going to do what they want, but it's good when they listen to our advice and what we think. Uh, yeah. That's what I was hunting for is, is how, how much influence when track set up or. Yep. So, so you guys have had some heavy rain races, a couple of them that to me look like they should have been almost called off because. Yeah, they, they should have been, but it wasn't, you know, it was the argument of what's the fine line, you know, where, where are we going to draw the line of this is rideable or not? Because we did two that just shouldn't, I mean, really, the three shouldn't happen, but two of them were just, you know, what are we doing? And go back to, uh, was it Iron Man? Yep. When uh, uh, DeNoble won it, the final moto? Yep. Should that have happened? Should you the guys moto? dropped off that line or started off no, that line? Not at all. It should not have happened, in my opinion. There was, there was lightning the whole time. You could barely see 200 feet in front of you. Um, it wasn't even like a mud race. It was just, it was pouring. We, we came off not even muddy. Like, you, it wasn't mud caked on the fenders, really, at all. We were just soaked. I mean, it, the, the standing water was insane. It was, it was, uh, I mean, I've never even went through water like that on anything. Anything. I mean, just think of the worst of the worst of the worst you can possibly think of, and that's what we raced in. I mean, I've never, not even utility quad if I rode through puddles like that. And we're coming around first lap, you can barely see to begin with, goggles are off. And seeing these puddles, holy crap. And then we're on the second lap. Now, like half the guys are already blown up in the first lap, and we're putting around, and we're looking at each other in like second gear in the middle of this race, idling the track. Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, like this is not even a race right now. Like, this is just, it's just survival. I mean, that's all it was. Um, and nothing taken away from Nick DeNoble, but he's the only one that didn't really blow up. He just, his quad stayed running, and he, the whole class, uh, you know. Him and Wesley. Him and Wesley. Yeah, and the whole class uh, just blew up. And the problem is, is we didn't have any time. We didn't have any time and, and our, our water setups weren't ready, you know, because it wasn't raining when we got called up to staging. We've got to go to staging 20 minutes before the race. So when we went up, it was not raining until about 10 minutes out and you're, you're not allowed to leave staging. So we did, but really didn't have the right mud setup. And that's why we all blew up. Did, that's really what happened. Did, did you guys all collectively go to the ref afterwards and voice yep. your opinions? Didn't have much to say about it, but we did. Yeah, I, there's been a lot of controversy over that that I've heard. Um, I'd like to get a couple of you guys on a, a live show just to talk about that yeah. because, you know, there was some great storylines that have come out of it, but I can just imagine the frustration. It's just a lot of effort, time, money to just, you know, 30, 30 minutes an hour push back would have made a world of a difference. We're not on live team. We're not, we're not on a real schedule. You know, we, we could have easily waited an hour easily and would have been a completely different outcome. 
you know, sometimes I feel like it's just a little bit too much by the book and not for what's right. Yeah, I I kind of agree on that on that race. Georgia was the other really, really bad mud race, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I like that track, too, but I kind of got to blame the the track, you know, the, the crew there. They just it was so hard packed the track Friday. And they knew the amount of rain was coming and they should have just left the track hard. It wasn't even bad at all. And if it rained on the hard pack, it would have just slid off. It was clay. You and know, if, it. if it's already dry, slick, hard pack, really hard and it rains, the water's going to go right off. But they did a full deep till and it poured. And that was just like the worst thing you could have possibly done to that place. And that's why that was the way it was. Yeah, I've never been touched. I don't think they should till them ever, but no, they just leave the tracks the way they are, you know, especially when there's rain coming on clay, the bad combo. At your track, do you have races or do you just, is it just practice only? It's just practice track in a private club that I do small group of guys on dirt bikes. Okay. Okay. Because I just, I I listened to uh, promoters and the Duggins back in the, in the nineties and two thousands had a racetrack in Tennessee. And, you know, we, we've talked to them about track prep and all kinds of stuff. And, and they didn't till they, you know, you might go scrape some stuff off, but you're not, you're not tilling it because the, the weather can come in at any given second. Right. Yeah. I mean, my track in specific is the, un, not the usual. I mean, it's, it's so sandy. There's never puddles. There's never a day I can't ride there. Like it's incredible. Like it just, well, what's it, what's it like in the, in the, when it's snowing? Um, I mean, the snow, just as long as it's melted for the most part, you know, light snow on it never hurts. A deep snow you can't ride in, but the, uh, as long as it's not terrible, uh, I'm riding. Uh, it dries up pretty quick. That place can take water like no other. That's pretty awesome. And it, that gives you an advantage that you oh, don't yeah. have to travel to go train. Oh, when it rains, yeah, no, it's it's cool. It's been getting kind of hard pack recently. It's it's really cool. Have you noticed a difference when you in the beginning of the year when you go from the cold weather to Florida for that first round? Does that affect you much? Uh, not really. Only because I, I I try to become or I try to be as ready as I can for that and train a lot of heat training before that, even at home in the gym. You're not in a heat train outside. That's a right. fact. The riding is what it is in the cold. Uh, but I've stayed back the last two years and I've done well staying back. Um, I think I'd still like to go to Florida this year. Now I have my time back. Now I can. Now I don't have to really be here. So uh, I'd like to go back down south, but I don't see the point in staying south for like four months. Or, you know, it's just, you know, everybody's different. Some people can stay and train the whole year, but. My family life here is so good, friends and family, and I'd rather go away for like a month and train here because that'll keep me more mentally sane than, uh, you know, getting burnt out. You know, it's fun, but after a while down south, it's just like, it's a little boring. You know, I (laughs) I like to, uh, you know, some people it's extremely exciting too. I think even regardless where I am, it's just, you want to get back home. And I think you got to pay attention more towards what's healthy for your brain because your brain is everything. And your yeah. brain is going to be the way you feel and the way everything is what you think is good for you. And that how you feel coming into the season is everything. So I totally, I totally agree with that focus, you know, yeah. Nick, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your, your busy schedule. Well, and like you said, at the beginning, Father's Day, um, I know that we both have really a, a lot of things going. That's why we did it so early. Um, good luck for the rest of the season. Stay in touch with us. If you have something that you want us to post, like a, like okay. if you post stuff about your uh, race on Thanksgiving weekend, if okay. you give us a flyer, we'll post it for you on our all of our social media and uh, spread it around so we can help you. Very good. Now, thank you very much. Have a, have a happy Father's Day. <laughs> you too. Thank you very much for that. And, and, and make sure you uh, reach out to your dad for me. I really, I really can't wait to meet him. 
The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.